Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline? And what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. Here we go. Episode four. We're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Could you... um? Can you hear my dog rubbing his body up against the fireplace? The fireplace? <laughs> what is wrong with him? He's a cat. He kind of is a cat. <laughs> anyway, episode four, it's your turn again. I'm excited. It is, and I'm excited too. Uh, do we have any housekeeping? Anything? I actually do have something. For our upcoming episodes, we're going to sprinkle in some fun interviews. So yeah. we're going to try to bring on people that we know from the news industry, and they are going to select a case that they either covered or that they're interested in, and we're going to talk about it with a guest. Yes, it's so exciting. I think that'll be fun. It'll be a good treat. And I think right now we're talking every five episodes, maybe. Yeah, that's what I think we're going to start out with. Mm-hmm. But we're we're just, we're rolling with whatever this is. So it might change <laughs> depending on what works, what doesn't work. So let us know. We're open to feedback. All right, so episode four, when true crime fans think of Indiana, most immediately think of one very well-known unsolved crime. Do you know what it is? No, because I feel like there are so many that That's it could true. be. There are a lot. I'm thinking of the Burger Chef murders. Four teenagers from Speedway, Indiana, were found brutally murdered in Johnson County after disappearing from their workplace, a restaurant chain called Burger Chef, in November of 1978. It's an infamous crime known for how not well it was handled by local law enforcement. By that, I mean the police officers that initially responded to the restaurant, where another employee reported them missing, assumed it was a robbery and didn't treat it like a crime scene. They released the restaurant back to the owner and the employees scrubbed the place down and opened it the next day. So it gets a lot of flack for that. Only later were the four teens' bodies found in Johnson County and it was too late. I know a lot of true crime podcasts cover this eventually. I know there are actual podcasts focused on just this case. In our time in the newsroom, we would cover the murders occasionally. It was anniversaries or during sweeps. And if you don't know what sweeps are, Certain months throughout the year where stations focus on deep dives or feature stories. In my opinion, stations should be doing this all the time, but that's beside the point. But today I want to talk about a crime spree that happened about two months before the Burger Chef murders. Arguably one of the reasons some people point to is why the police force wasn't super on top of things. So today we're going to talk about the Speedway bombings. I never heard of this until you told me about it. I know. A lot of people haven't, but it was like big news until the Burger Chef murders happened. I googled Speedway bombings 1978, clicked on news, and got 146 results total. A lot of them were actually articles mainly about the Burger Chef murders, so not very covered. like it all. It was a six-day bombing spree that happened in the town of Speedway. According to WRTV, the bombings began in the evening of September 1st and lasted through September 6th. So that's like almost a week of random bombs. Like, would you not just be terrified? <laughs> right. And I like, if, if this happened today, it'd be all over the place. Oh, yeah. These the bombs... 70s were a different time. <laughs> I'm glad I was not born then because I would not have been surviving and thriving. 
I mean, I would have been on Charlie Manson's bus or whatever. Stop it! He'd be like, you're pretty, and I'd be like, okay, where are we going? Oh my god, stop. <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk about how it would be National News now, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, a total of eight bombs exploded. The first explosions happened in three different locations in Speedway on September 1st, so that's three bombs in one day. The bombs were hidden inside trash cans. They caused damage, but nobody was hurt. According to WIBC, one witness said, quote, the only thing I noticed is I was inside my store and my body was physically moved six inches to 12 inches with a blast that took out all my store windows. Shit. Yeah, so it's not like these are like wimpy bombs. I mean, they're pretty substantial. Like, you could get hurt and people did eventually, yeah. but until and this shattering point. Shattering store windows, like. I know. That's yeah, it's crazy. Not small. No. So authorities enforced a curfew, not allowing the youths on the street at night. And I'm watching New Girl right now, so all I can think of is Schmidt. <laughs> the youths? The Are youths. you kidding me? The youths. <laughs> Just say kids or teens. I can't. Or- it's Stop. in my brain. It's in my brain. The bombings then continued into the next week. So then things started to escalate a bit. A bomb exploded under a parked Speedway Police Department cruiser. No one was hurt. But again, if this happened today, it would oh be my crazy God. town. It'd be everywhere. So according to the Wikipedia page for this bombing spree, again, I did not have a lot of sources, so just bear with me um but they did cite like old indie star articles and things like that so i mean i did look at the source that this said and they all seemed pretty legit but after the police car bombing this is when the speedway authorities called on explosive experts from the indiana state police the marion county sheriff's department the 64th ordinance from nearby fort benjamin harrison and specialists from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. So a lot of players. They formed a one. Yes, they formed a one hundred strong task force to try and solve this case. So that's a lot for. I mean, even now, I feel like. Yeah, I think now that's probably standard. Like to that's bring true. In, to bring in ISP and then like essentially the modern day bomb squad. That's true. Yeah. So like if for that to be the like what they brought in back then they did take it seriously so back to my previous point about the burger chef murders i can only assume the speedway police department was spread pretty thin already with these bombings and then the burger chef murders happened two months after that not a fact just an assumption so let's get into the bombs themselves they were pretty simple (laughs) i was gonna say that's my biggest question is like what are these what's inside of these bombs i don't think i could just make one well i hope not I don't even know. I mean, I could do like the Mentos and Coke well, and that's throw it near, at somebody. That's not nearly as <laughs> I know. aggressive. But they did involve soda cans. Soda cans packed with a water gel explosive and set off with a timing device. I was wondering, was there anything inside of the bombs? Because, you know, sometimes people make bombs and they put stuff like nails or oh, shards like of glass. Or, yeah. Yeah. I didn't read it anywhere, but I feel like if there were more people would have been hurt. That's fair. But they were also inside like trash cans and stuff, which could be a barrier. So we will talk about the last bombing. And that's when two people were actually seriously hurt. And here's the reason I chose to cover this case. My dad's good friend is connected 
to this. So his friend's dad was one of the people hurt. Veteran Carl DeLong was walking in the parking lot of Speedway High School after a football game, saw an abandoned gym bag, kicked it out of the way. A bomb was inside that bag. Oh my god. I know. Doctors had to eventually amputate his leg. So people did get hurt with these. Like, his wife was also seriously hurt. I think a piece of it went into her, like, aortal artery or something. Jeez. I know. So I think everyone was very lucky nobody got hurt before this. Yeah. It does kind of put things into perspective. So, of course, this had a huge impact on the family. That's why I became interested in this case because the crimes that we talk about are real. The crimes that are headlines and that people are like, oh my gosh, did you hear about this? It's real. Like, these are real people. And sometimes working in news, it's easy for that to get lost. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you're interested in true crime, it's easy to get caught up in the story and kind of forget that it actually happened and it's not just a story. I think that's important to keep in mind. After that last bombing, authorities announced a $2,500 reward for that information. And here is where it gets interesting. Give it to me. Later that month, a 27-year-old political activist named Brett Kimberlin was arrested on unrelated charges. What did he do to get arrested? (laughs) WIBC reports Kimberlin was charged with trying to get a fake ID, but was turned into the police. According to the Indy Star, he was trying to illegally get United States government credentials from a print shop while dressed in a Defense Department security uniform. I thought that this man was just trying to get, like, a fake ID to get some alcohol. Like, he was literally pretending to be, like, a U.S. military. Oh, my God. So, police arrested him when he went to pick up the documents. So, he's a stupid idiot. (laughs) Because the guy at Kinko's was like, I don't think that this is normal. And called the police. So, good for that guy. That's like when people buy, like, rolls of duct tape and rope in the same purchase. You have to tell somebody. That should be a rule at Walmart. There should be, like, uh, when you scan. You know how it's such a pain in the ass to scan things yourself? It'll be, like, the slightest thing. It'll be, like, need assistance. Like, that should happen when you scan duct tape and then immediately scan rope. Like, they should be, like, need assistance. This purchase needs to be approved. And then they run your background real quick. And then they'll let you buy it if you're just home improving or whatever. Eventually, that led police to get a warrant to search his house. Reportedly, they found bomb-making materials and 1,000 pounds of pot. (laughs) 1,000 pounds. I can't even picture that. It's all getting, like, very clear to me now. Like, this man (laughs) is just getting stoned and then making bombs. There's more to Holy cow. It's crazy. I even took some of this stuff out because it just gets so in the weeds of his, like, what happens later. But... (laughs) Additionally, an eyewitness came forward and allegedly identified him as the man that he saw place an explosive device in a trash can on September 1st. And here's where it gets even crazier. Police eventually say they were led to believe Kimberlin may have been trying to throw them off a murder investigation from earlier that summer. Oh, shit. Yeah, so there's a murder. Wait, so, like, they think that he was involved in the murder or that he was, like, someone asked him to, like, do these bombings to, like, get police off of that murder no, case? No, they thought, they thought he was involved and they 
he was trying to like distract them with random bombings. Well, so here's what that's, happened. That's one I know. approach. <laughs> I know. So in July of 1978, prior to the bombings, a 65-year-old Speedway woman, Julia Cyphers, was shot and killed outside of her house. Police apparently questioned Kimberlyn about it because Julia Cyphers, quote, violently disapproved of her daughter Sandra Barton's relationship with Kimberlyn, as well as the, quote, strange attention Kimberlyn allegedly paid to Barton's preteen daughter. Ick. Major ick. Not only that, but Julia's husband, Fred, later identified the shooter as William Bowman, who, according to Wicked Indianapolis, was a close associate of Kimberlyn's in the drug trade. Ah, that explains the a thousand pounds of pot. Yes, yes. He had, he had some sort of record before all this, but it was hard to find. Unfortunately, Fred, who was the prosecution's only witness, died shortly after the murder, and Bowman was never charged. Julia Cipher's murder remains unsolved to this day. Holy shit. I know. God, they couldn't get this guy to confess. I know. <laughs> They seem stupid. Well, now we're switching gears because there's nothing left to talk about in the murder because it's unsolved, which is yeah. crazy to me. We're going back to the bombings here. It's important to note that no motive was established at the trial and any connection to Kimberlyn possibly have had to the murder is alleged, but it's important to bring up. And that's all I'll say. So we don't get sued by this crazy ass man. Kimberlyn was eventually charged in connection to the bombings in 1981. So that's three years later. He was convicted and sentenced to 50 years in prison. What took them so long? Probably sorting through all the murder stuff. You found bomb making kits in this guy's house and it took you three years to get him in jail? But is that enough? Because I don't know if they found like bombs made. I think they found like things to make them and you could be like, oh, well I use that for... Uh, For um, what? Weeds in my garden. I just set bombs off in my backyard to kill the grass. Like, what? We do that every 4th of July, ma'am. So. Those are fireworks. Bombs. Little bombs. According to the Indy Star, after his conviction, prosecutors released yellow legal pads they had confiscated from Kimberlin's conviction, which they said detailed his plans to kill key eyewitnesses and prosecutors on the case, as well as stage another series of bombings to provide him an alibi. So in my professional opinion, this man is fucking crazy. Do you know what will get me out of going to jail for these bombings? More bombings. (laughs) More bombings. I couldn't have done them if I'm in jail. Oh my god, certifiable. (laughs) Here's where you get mad, ready? Kimberlyn was released after serving, guess how many years? Seven. A little higher. Ten. He was released after 15 years. Wow. In 2001. So he's just out there chilling. Oh, great! Yeah, he's out. Fantastic. That's why I'm very careful about my alleged lease. Does he still live in Speedway? I don't know. But apparently, he sued multiple right-wing bloggers for defamation. And according to Politico, is being accused of swatting them, which is when someone calls in a false tip after a violent crime is reported, and it ends with the SWAT team coming to the victim's home. That's a whole thing I really don't care about. He's trash and continues to be so. End of story. So, why did this case not get national attention? So, there are a few reasons. Local attention. Local. It did get some local. Like, the Indie Star had a bunch of old articles, but that's really all I found. Like, there were some, and I think it was a big deal before the Burger Chef murders. That's true, and it might have been on... TV news and we just that's so long ago that the archive for TV stations might not be yeah. on like online yeah. or we might available. Not have access. 
Yeah. So the biggest one, in my opinion, is the time in which it happened, which is what we're talking about. Newsrooms and media in general were very different than they are today. There was no internet. There wasn't really a great way to share mass amounts of information. I don't know how they did it back then, but I just remember, like, some of the older reporters in the newsroom would always be like, in my day, we had to print out all of our scripts. Um, So I don't know how they shared information nationally, unless it was, like, mail, phone calls, I guess. But I don't know how you get the facts. But how do you fax, like, video? Like, I feel like someone would have to come get it. That's a good question, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so there wasn't really a great way to quickly share information to other newsrooms. So that's, I think, a big part of the reason why it didn't get national attention. Because I know if it happened today again, it would be national news for sure. I mean, it was under a Speedway Police Department cruiser, whatever, car. And then two people got hurt in the last one. And then they were in trash cans. So it's just like... Multiple bombings like that, those, I'm pretty sure, are considered considered like terrorists yeah nowadays because this was all pre-9-11 and stuff and i don't really i mean i was not alive so i don't know same i don't know the rules (laughs) i was not alive nor did i live here True. Another reason I personally think this didn't get national attention is because Jonestown happened two months after that Ah. in November. So that did get national attention. 909 people died as a result of a mass murder-suicide in Guyana, leading the cult, a man from Indiana by the name of Jim Jones. This is what I'm talking about when I say that, like, stuff always comes back to Indiana. I don't know what it is about this state But it's like something, even now, something national could happen. And there's always some freaking tie to Indiana. Uh That's literally my next line. Because I said you and I would always say that whenever a big story would break, we were like, this is connected to Indiana somehow. This is there somehow, some way. And we would latch on to it if we just discovered it because when you're in the newsroom you want to tie back national stories to local as much as you can so there's an indiana tie it's going in our newscast and then it technically you can be fine with putting it in your local block yeah because it It ties back to indiana so that's insane i know i know so the main takeaways here timing is everything if there's a bigger story out there that's going to be what takes the national spotlight what makes a story bigger could be number of victims circumstances of crime type of victim it's also time as in the era it happened is a big one like we said before multiple times if this bombing spree happened now with everything we know about the man accused of being behind it i have no doubt would get picked up nationally pretty quickly because he's a wacko if they got wind of of him being investigated for a murder or Mm -hmm. in relation to a murder because although that is not like concrete like something that would maybe get him convicted in court it is something that you can report on tv you can can say police are investigating (laughs) or Police did investigate or look yeah. into him in relation to an unsolved Speedway murder. Like, because mm-hmm. it's true. They did. Yeah, I mean, facts are facts. So that's an important thing to know about the newsroom, too, is even if it's alleged, you still have to go off of what police say, but there is a way you can mention it. If a state official says something, if police say something, if someone in an interview or whatever that you said, as as long as you're attributing it to that person and can back it up, you you can put anything on TV. That's crazy. But I mean, in this case, the police did say that. They said, there we is, are looking into it. I say that with, there is a caveat of yes. like, there are news ethics 
yes, that journals follow <laughs> that, yes. that, you know, not everything like that is going to be thrown on TV. If it seems important to the story, yes. um, it'll be added. But some, most of the time we try to stay away from things that might get us in trouble. Yeah, because I know a lot of a lot of journalists get up and close with, like, the victims of these crimes and their families, so they hear a lot of gossip, and you can't just put that on the news. And especially ethics really comes into it. Like, does this forward the story, or is it just making it more interesting? In this case, I think it does attribute heavily to the story because it's a possible motive. Yeah. So I didn't really look into his, what happened to him after because I really don't care about this person. He, I think he runs some sort of like music organization. And there was a lot, like if you Google his name and I'm type Googling. in Speedway Bombings. Oh, there's... Justice Through Music Project? Yeah. He runs like several organizations. He's like, again, sued a bunch of right-wing political bloggers for defamation. And he's like, everything's a conspiracy that's out to get him. And they brought up his previous conviction for the bombings. And he was like, well, that's not relevant. <laughs> and I'm like, actually, it is. It's just crazy. If you want to get down the rabbit hole, you can. I was going to, but it was just a lot of explaining. He tried to get his convictions vacated. Oh, yeah, 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 Stupid. But that's all I got. What a fascinating psychopath. I know. And I, it's just, how did it not get national attention? That's crazy to me. It is really true, though. Like, if, if something like that were to happen now, it would absolutely... No pun intended. Blow up. I know. Do you know how hard it was for me not to put that in my script? I was like, that is not sensitive. I was like, have this not pause. Get national attention. Oh my god. Yeah. So time it happens is very important. I bet there are a ton of crimes that are absolutely crazy that happened pre-1990s that just didn't have the opportunity to get national attention. I mean, some did, like John Bonet got a lot, like Charles Manson got a lot, Ted Bundy got a lot. So it just kind of just depends on what people latch onto and then also what's happening around it. Like with this, it was the Burger Chef murders and Jonestown. Yeah, there was this, a so. there was a local and a national story that kind of overshadowed all yes. of it. Well, how crazy that like you heard about this from your dad because his I know. friend and I've met the friend and like it it really like still takes a toll on him to this day. And it's easy to forget that. It was yeah, it's a weird personal tie that first got me interested but then when I kept looking into it I just it just kept getting crazier and crazier well I'm so sorry to him and I feel so awful like that something like that impacted him for the rest of his life like he had to get his leg amputated and that is absolutely insane it's something that I could never in a million years imagine happening right like if that happened to my dad right now like how do you move on and it hurt his wife too that's I think an important thing to always remember especially as we do these more of these episodes we may laugh because we deal with things with humor because we have to it's something that we learned very early in the newsroom uh what is that called gallows humor right yeah so i'm also wondering if you know after we do like we bring on a guest and stuff if we ask people if they have questions about what it's like to be a producer and like (laughs) deal with deal with like reading stories like this every single day because I know that it's like a job that a lot of people don't 
think about. Like, when you think of TV news, you probably just think of, like, a reporter or an anchor. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people don't know how much producers actually do behind the scenes. Yeah, and, like, research. So, I am wondering if there are people who are listening and kind of want to know a little bit more about what our jobs were like. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then at the end of episodes, we could read a few if we get enough yeah. We'll just kind of have a Q&A at the end. I'll drop our email again. It's buriedbylines at yahoo.com. We've already gotten two emails about cases Whoa! that people that people submitted. So I love to see that. I'd love more people to drop cases and drop questions for us. Yeah. If it's a case that impacts you. We want your voice out here, too. That's another reason we started this podcast is to just bring light to stories that aren't getting it. If there's someone in your life or your family or an acquaintance, just let us know. We want to get as much attention to these cases as possible because they're all important. And just because one blows up nationally and one doesn't doesn't mean either are more important than the other. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from WRTV Indianapolis, Wicked Indianapolis, The Indie Star, Politico, and Wikipedia. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure to check them out. Bye!